0: This morning, we are uh, continuing our series here at Rooftops called Religion Redefined, and it's on Jesus' uh, Sermon on the Mount, which is recorded in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. In this section that we started uh, a few weeks ago, Jesus talks about some spiritual disciplines of giving and praying and fasting. These are things that religious Jews did back in Jesus' day. There's still things that religious people around the world do. Uh, but there's a right way to do these things and a wrong way to do these things. And the people that Jesus is talking to have been taught by those nasty, wicked Pharisees uh, the wrong way to give and to pray and to fast. And Jesus has to correct them, and he teaches them how to give and pray and fast in good and meaningful ways. Now, two weeks ago, Jeremy uh, talked about what Jesus says about prayer. Now, as Jesus says, prayer is not something that we need to do in any sort of way to impress God. We don't need to keep babbling on and on and on to make sure that like, we let God know that somehow we, he hears what we really need. Uh, we don't have to use endless phrases or just the right magic words to, to make sure that our words break through. God, God hears, God knows what we need. And also, we don't need to pray in any sort of attention grabbing way uh, to get God's attention or let alone the attention of other people. That's not what really what prayer is all about. Uh, we, we just need to pray. We just need to go into our closet and, and close the door and just pray. But what should we pray? When we get into our closet, what do we say? Uh, this is not a bad question. In in this passage in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us how not to pray. But what should we pray? A lot of us actually, if we're honest, a lot of us really don't know what to pray. We're just kind of guessing. Is this how I do it? Is this what I say? Uh, as Jeremy said, one of the reasons that we're not very good at prayer is that in general, in the church today, uh, we're not very intentional about teaching people how to pray. We sort of make a lot of assumptions. Everybody knows how to do this. A lot of us just don't know how to pray. I mean, this is why if you've ever been in a small group or a Bible study and your leader likes looks at you and gets to the prayer time at the end like, "Would you like to close us in prayer?" and you're like, "No, no, 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 please no." You know, it's like we've been asked to like, you know, kill a living thing. Like, no, don't, don't make me do this. I don't I don't know how to do this. Uh, now of course most people pray. I mean, don't get me wrong. Most people around the world pray. Uh, but we pray in our private desperate moments, usually when we need something from beyond, we, we don't let lack of training get in our way to keep us from just screaming to the heavens that we need some kind of help. But our prayers in those moments are unformed. Our prayers are more like babies screaming to be picked up from the crib. I mean, babies know how to scream, right? Anybody ever had a baby? They know how to scream. Just like people know how to pray. I mean, in fact, in its most basic form, prayer is us screaming to God, pick me up, pick me up, pick me up, pick me up. And just so, prayer, it, it doesn't have to be pretty. It just has to be desperate loud. But there is more to prayer than screaming. I mean, as adults, we actually learned how to communicate with each other. We didn't get stuck screaming at each other. Blah, blah, blah. We learned how to like talk and use words. Uh, we're better for it. We can have conversations with each other. Prayer is the same way. Sure, you can scream. Ah, pick me up. You can cry out. But it can be more. It can be fully formed conversation with your Father in heaven. How do you pray, though? A lot of us wonder that. How, how do I do this? Uh, we're like the disciples who asked Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, Lord, can you teach us to do that? You know, that, that you, you know how to do that so well. Teach us how to do that. This is the question that Jesus is happy to answer, and it's the question that Jesus takes up in Matthew 6, the passage that we're going to study this morning. This, this passage that we're going to study, it's actually maybe, I don't know how you measure these things, but maybe the most famous passage in the Bible. So we're studying, like, the most famous passage in the Bible this morning. Uh, we call the passage the Lord's Prayer. Uh, maybe you're familiar with it. Maybe you grew up reciting it. Maybe you grew up singing it in church. Maybe you know it by another name. You call it the Our Father we're going to recite it together during communion later, but for now, let me just share it with you. It comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Apparently, this is how we should pray. Now we can scream, ah! <laughs> or we can use words with sentences and punctuation. Now before we jump into the word, into the prayer, uh, let me go ahead and, and make an observation that m- you might have already made. Uh, m- maybe you see that the, the, the end of the prayer is missing. I don't know if anybody grew up reciting this, and for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Anybody grew up reciting that in church when you recite the prayer? It's not there. Where did it go? I mean, this is actually the in a certain reading the rhetorical high point of the prayer whenever the the Lord's Prayer is set to music except for like this song but uh, you know the the Lord's Prayer the the kingdom and the power this is the, the the musical climax for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen there's a little tag on the end too yeah that's the musical climax so what I just cut it just gone? Well, you, I don't want to scandalize you or anything, but this, this line's actually not in the prayer. It's not in the Bible. It only occurs later in manuscripts, like 3rd, 4th, 5th century, and then in the King James Version, um, most likely. Uh, this was like a later edition by a scribe who thought he'd like spruce up the ending, <laughs> thought Jesus' prayer needed like a better conclusion. Kind of like you know a lot of you felt after Game of Thrones. Oh, this needs a better conclusion. <laughs> Let somebody write a conclusion. Having said that, if you want to like keep praying this and singing it, you know you're not going to get in trouble for ascribing to God all the power and the glory and forever. Let's look at the actual prayer though. There's a lot of little lines here in the in the actual prayer, uh, but for the most part, the prayer can be broken up into four uneven sections. Uh, You've got the instruction. You've got the address. You've got what Bible scholars call the you petitions. And then finally, you have the we petitions. So let's start with the instruction. This, then, is how you should pray. Do it like this. Now, is Jesus saying that these are the words we should use and that these are absolutely the words we should use and we shall not deviate henceforth from these words? Pray like this and only like this. Only like this. Uh, Some people actually think so, if even accidentally. I was a, a basketball coach for my son's basketball team for many years. It was the CYC, the Catholic Youth Conference. And before each game... The the two teams would line up for prayer, and one coach would lead the prayer time. And because it was a Catholic league, most of the coaches would pray the, the Our Father, or the, the Hail Mary, Hail, Hail Mary, full of grace. And it was my time. It was my time. Normally, I would pray the Lord's Prayer, uh, you know, because everybody knew those words. But one game, I was feeling spunky. <laughs> I decided to pray freestyle, <laughs> from the heart. My prayer was beautiful. It was powerful. It was poetry. It was sheer poetry. I was spontaneous. I was so into it. Wandering all over the heavens with my spirit-led phrases after wrapping up and descending from the clouds I said, Amen! I looked up and 16 Catholic boys were looking at me very confused (laughs) about what to do with their hands. Do I Cross now, or are you done? Like, mom, dad, what the, the referee had to intervene. and blew the whistle. <laughs> so, so is Jesus saying these are the words we should use? I don't think so. And, and for the record, a lot of Catholics don't either. Catholics can be very freestyle prayer too. If you're a Catholic, don't be offended at my exaggerated storytelling. Uh, but the Greek phrase that Jesus uses here gives us some flexibility Uh, The phrase is maybe a little bit better translated. In this manner, you should pray. Pray in this manner. Pray kind of like this. This is a manner. This is an example. It includes some of the highlights you're going to want to say. You're going to want to speak to God as a father. You're going to want to pray for this. You're going to want to pray for that. Now, to be sure, if you want to use the words, use the words. For many centuries, in fact, Christians would pray this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, word for word, three times a day. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. They prayed this prayer three times a day using the words. You know, use the words if you want. Just like babies learn to talk by imitating the language of adults, praying people learn to speak to God by imitating the words that the adults use. That's our instruction. Next comes the address. Our Father who's in heaven. You gotta know Who we are praying to, to whom we are praying, is as important, if not more important, than what we are saying. And to whom are we praying? Our Father, who's in heaven. This is a very meaningful phrase, and one that we blow by way too quickly. I mean, first of all, the word that Jesus uses for Father almost definitely... Uh, Jesus spoke Aramaic. The, the New Testament was written in Greek, and almost definitely the word Jesus uses for father in Aramaic, it's not really father, but it's, it's the word Abba. So Abba is a term of intimacy for, like, your, your papa, your daddy. It basically means daddy. Sometimes when Jesus is speaking to God himself as his father, he doesn't call him father, he calls him daddy, uh, like in Mark chapter 14, Abba, Father, he said, Daddy, basically. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. It's it's a little weird to me to think of Jesus like addressing the creator of all creation as Daddy. It's a little weird. Daddy. But then again, like, A lot of stuff that Jesus does seems kind of weird to me who's got the problem (laughs) Jesus or me I mean of course of course Jesus is going to call God his daddy he depended on his daddy he loved his daddy he trusted daddy Uh, my my kids actually they used to call me daddy now they call me father they actually do hello father My daughter's learning Spanish. She calls me padre. Hola, padre. Like, hola, hija. They're growing up. They're becoming their own people. They're they're losing their dependence. Their intimacy just kind of happens. I don't think Jesus ever lost his. I don't think Jesus ever lost his dependence, his intimacy with his daddy. But God wasn't just Jesus' daddy, he was Jesus' daddy in heaven. That's what he says, our Abba in heaven. To be in heaven doesn't just mean to live at a separate address, like dear dad who lives in Illinois. No, to be the father in heaven means to reign supreme over all creation. This is what heaven represents, the place of power and rule. It's it's more like, dear dad, who lives in the White House when we pray, we pray to our dad, who lives in the White House of all creation. He sees all, knows all, does all. He loves us deeply. He can do anything he wants. That's the God to whom Jesus says we can pray. Our God is, is the daddy in charge. He's like Daddy Warbucks at the end of the musical. So at the beginning of the musical, it's, he's not Daddy Warbucks. He's just Oliver. Oliver. Oliver Warbucks. Oliver Warbucks. But by the end of the show, after Annie has won him over, he's become her daddy in a mansion. And he will use his power and wealth to do anything, everything for his little girl. That's who we're praying to, daddy in charge. Now, I know a lot of you have never known a daddy like that. Let's be honest. A lot of your father figures have been not quite daddies, let alone powerful ones. Some of yours might have been worse. You might not even be able to imagine this kind of God. But I still think in our heart of hearts that we know, we know what it would be like to have a daddy in charge like this, someone who balances perfectly intimacy and power, authority and love, someone that we can talk to, someone that we can feel safe with, someone who will defend us. We can imagine what that's like. We've always yearned for it. And Jesus says we have that very father figure. And we can talk to him. Now, what do we say? What do we pray to the daddy in charge? Uh, This gets to the meat of the prayer. If we had the time, of course, we'd go through line for line, but we we can't do that. We're going to instead look at the two main sections of the prayer. First, we have... The you petitions. Bible scholars call this section the you petitions because in this part of the prayer, we petition, we ask our Father in the second person possessive singular. <laughs> you know what that is. You. Your second person. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's kind of what holds these lines together. You. Your. These are the you petitions. Now, we're not going to go line by line, but I will say that this first line, holy is your name, is frequently misunderstood. Hallowed be thy name is another way of saying it. Uh, Back in Bible times, a person's name wasn't just a combination of letters that referred to them, like M-A-T-T, four letters, actually three, one repeated, refers to me. Somebody's name represents their very essence. I mean, Matt has nothing to do with who I am, just the certain combination of English letters that refer to me. But back then, a person's name represented the very essence of who they are, or at least their reputation. You were only as good as your name. To be hallowed or to be holy means to be set apart. So the prayer here is that God's name, his reputation, be set apart here on earth. The prayer is that God might vindicate his name as one of power and goodness. May people see that you are real. May people see that you are good. May people on earth see that you are loving and pure and true. Use your power to set apart yourself, your name. And those two other lines... Go along with that. May your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Kingdom, it's a common word in the Bible, and it means the place where God's reign is exercised, where his rule is realized. May all that is true up in heaven, where your name is recognized, your kingdom reigns, your power rules, may it come down to earth. Now I want to pause here and think about this a little bit more deeply The gist of this prayer is that God's heavenly reign be extended down on earth. And this lines up with Jesus' overall teaching, in fact. Jesus came to bring the kingdom to earth, as he says in Matthew uh, 10 elsewhere. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus came to earth to establish a little heavenly outpost here on earth. And where heaven came to earth, God's power was made available. Where heaven came to earth, the blind could see, right? Where heaven came to earth, the deaf could hear. Where heaven came to earth, the lame could walk. That's what happens when heaven comes to earth. What I think is important to realize is that this is not always the direction we pray. A preacher that I really like pointed out that oftentimes we don't pray that God's heaven is brought to earth. What do we pray? We, are, we pray that we are delivered from earth unto heaven. Anybody grow up watching uh, Star Trek? I grew up watching Star Trek, the old, the original, with my daddy, uh, every Friday, Saturday night, KPLR. We would watch Star Trek. And... Uh, If you know Star Trek, you you know what happens Sometimes all the characters would get stuck on a planet Like a dangerous planet, and dangerous situation And what would they pray into their Handheld electronic devices? Beam Beam me up, fast, quick Fast, lock on, lock on, beam me up In other words Get us out of here I think this is how we pray Lord, get us out of here Lock on Beam me up this is not Jesus' prayer. prayer it's the exact opposite. Lord, bring down your power. Uh, this preacher that I like, he summed Jesus' prayer up differently. He said the prayer is basically this: Lord, make up there, come down here. D- don't take me up there. Ah! Ah! <laughs> you come down. Bring the kingdom of your power. Down to earth. I think this is important because Jesus reminds you that God loves the earth. The earth was once part of God's glorious kingdom because of sin and death, though. It's been sectioned off. It's, we're kind of the forgotten territory, the, the abandoned planet. Uh, we're studying Revelation in my Bible study on Wednesday nights, and, and one of the things we're learning is that God actually wants to restore the earth to sacred space. He doesn't want to just abandon the plan. He he doesn't want to beam up. He, He beams down. And this is what Jesus invites us to pray. Lord, make up there, come down here. So I ask you, what would it look like? What would it look like? Let's dream together. What would it look like for up there to come down here? What would that look like? It would look like the sick getting the help they need. It would look like the homeless having houses. It would look like the wicked being judged. It would look like wars ending. It would look like the poor getting equal opportunity. It would look like orphans getting adopted into forever homes. It would look like so many things. That's what it would look like in general. But what would it look like for you? What would up there coming down here look like in your life? What would it look like for his power to beam into you It would look like God giving us the strength to resist temptation. It would look like God restoring our marriages and using us as an agent of reconciliation in our families. It would look like God giving us opportunities to to serve using our, our, our gifts. These are the things that God wants to do through you on earth. But the lesson here is it starts with prayer. God wants to do these things. He's intent on doing these things. But he wants to start by hearing us ask for them. So what's our prayer? Not beam me up. Beam into me. Okay, (laughs) come Here I come. (laughs) That's the you petitions. What about the second half of the prayer? After the first half, we have... We have the you petitions, then we have what's called the we petitions. They're called this because they're in the first person plural. Real grammar lesson this morning. Us, we, our, give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not in temptation, deliver us from the evil one. Now, there is plenty to talk about in these four requests. Uh, the first line, for example, asks that God give us our daily bread. It's, it's taken as a prayer that God will take care of us every day, like he took care of the Israelites in the wilderness with the manna in the bread, or a manna on the ground. Now, the, the line does mean that take care of us daily, Father, but it also means something bigger, A literal translation of the line is probably something more like this. God, give us our bread for the coming day. Capital D, day. It's a prayer that God bring about the feast of heaven, the great day, today. The prayer isn't just a request that God give us the ordinary bread we need today. It's also prayer that God gives us the bread we need tomorrow. And by tomorrow, I don't mean Monday. I mean heaven, that tomorrow tomorrow. This is a prayer that God brings the feast of heaven to earth today. This is a prayer for his return. Lord, come soon. We're tired. We're hungry. We need your bread. Come soon. The second line is that God forgives us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. This was apparently, well, next line. This was apparently so important, this idea that God forgives us our sins, that Jesus repeats it after the prayer the, the real conclusion to the Lord's Prayer, here's where it is. Maybe we cut it off because we don't want to read this one again. Jesus returns to this idea. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's the scariest verse in the New Testament. If we're not able to forgive the people in our lives, apparently the grace of God is not inside of us. The third and the fourth lines are oftentimes prayed together. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation. Now, even when I was a kid, growing up in my Methodist church, and we would recite this prayer all the time, I'd like wonder, why should we pray that God lead us not into temptation? I mean, is that the sort of thing God does? Lead people into temptation? Like, Lord... Don't lead me to the adult bookstore. Please don't lead me to the adult bookstore. I know that sometimes you do that. Don't do it to me. Lord, don't, don't lead me to the ice cream section in the grocery store. Don't lead me there, Father. Don't lead me. No, you did it again, Lord. I asked for you not to lead me to the ice cream section. You did it again. Why did you lead me like that? I asked you not to. That doesn't make sense. Uh, especially since elsewhere in the Bible, we actually read this in the book of James. We read, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anybody. So why do we pray that God not tempt us? Well, <clears throat> really here the problem is, one once again, one of translation. Uh, the problem is that the same word For temptation also means testing. So in the Bible, a testing is a crisis. The people of God face many crises, crises of faith, crises of trust. Uh, Sometimes they succeed in these tests, sometimes they fail. Persecution is a time of testing. Uh, Suffering is a time of testing. Poverty is a time of testing. Loneliness is a time of testing. (laughs) Poverty is a time of testing. These are times during which we are vulnerable to evil, and to attack. So what does Jesus give us to pray? Lord, keep me from times of testing. I don't like times of testing. I'm not good at tests. I get nervous. My hands get sweaty. I'm not a good test taker. <laughs> don't give me any tests. But if you do give me tests, because I know that sometimes you've got to take tests. If you do give me tests, just give me strength to resist in my most vulnerable moment the many ways the devil wants to take me down. So basically, here in this we section of the prayer, Jesus tells us to pray for three things. Provision, pardon, and protection. There's your three-point sermon. Starts with the same letters. I got it in. Boom. Boom. Once again, a pathetic applause, but that's all right. We'll we'll go (laughs) on. Provide us the bread we need, the the heavenly bread we are waiting to enjoy. Pardon us for our sins in a way that we can truly pardon one another and protect us in our times of testing, of trial. Give us strength to resist evil in our moments of weakness. These are things that God wants to give. Provision, pardon, protection. But this is the theme. He wants to talk to us about them with sentences. Uh, One more thought before we wrap up with communion and some more worship. What I think we oftentimes miss in, in in this part of the prayer, in the we petitions, what I think we oftentimes miss is the most important word. Now, here's a, here's a pro tip for Bible reading. Uh, whenever you're reading the Bible and you're trying to kind of get it, one of the most important things to do is to look for repeating words. You can usually get pretty close to what the author's main idea is just by le- looking for words that recur. So, take a look at this part of the prayer. What's the most repeated word? It's us. Our. We. It honestly seems as though Jesus is assuming that we pray this prayer together. Or at least with others in mind. Why would praying together be such a big deal to Jesus? Well, it's important to remember that the God we are praying to is a highly relational God. He is one God but three persons, Father, Son, Spirit, who live in complete unity and peace. More than anything, he wants us to know the joy of holy togetherness. Prayer is when we come together in a unified, desperate request for grace. As we approach the throne room of God, God wants to see us approach him together. I mean, he's happy that we might come in by ourselves. He's happy that we show up in the throne room before the throne. He's like, hey, good to see you. But his next question might be, by yourself today? Now, don't get me wrong. We can pray alone. I mean, even Jesus prayed alone in his desperate moments. And earlier in the passage, Jesus actually tells his disciples to go into closets by themselves to pray alone without the distraction of other people. Introverts can pray too. <laughs> but as a highly relational God, God wants to bless us as a family, as a people, as a community. God wants us to approach him as children together. God wants us to at least pray with other people in mind. Sure, you can pray selfishly. Get me out of this crib. Get me out of this crib. You can scream and cry like a baby. God, I need this. I need this. I need this. But when we pray together, we pray at our best. Because we're sensitive to the fact that there are other people in the world. So what does it mean to pray these lines with other people in mind? What does it mean to pray that God give us our daily bread? Does it not mean remembering that even as God has blessed us with so much, there are still hungry people in the world? Does it not mean that maybe the first thing we should do after praying is go to the grocery store, get some canned goods, take them down to the food pantry, or sign up for the Feed My Sheep ministry, deliver meals to people who are hungry, And what does it mean to pray that God forgive us for how we have sinned against God? Does it not mean that we stand together condemned before God by our collective sins? Not only have we sinned against God, but we've sinned against God. Does it not mean that we must be able to forgive people in the same way God forgives us? And what does it mean to pray that God lead us not into temptation, into testing? Does it not mean that God wants to protect us from evil by drawing us to each other for strength? We are more vulnerable to sin and the devil when we're trying to do life and faith alone. That's why we need each other. That's why we need small groups. That's why we need spiritual friendships. That's why we need strong families. That's why we need youth groups. That's why we need young adult groups. That's why we need godly marriages. That's why we need each other. We stand no chance on our own. The devil sees someone on their own. He's like, ooh, hmm. God hears our prayers. God wants to answer them. According to his sovereign will, he does. He's our daddy. He's in charge. He's happy to hear our cries. But his favorite type of prayer is when God's people come together, pray together, using words, and receive together what he has for us so that we can share it with the world who has none. This is one of the many things that communion reminds us of.